3: it's whispered that soon if we all call the tune then the piper will lead us to reason ladies and gentlemen boys and girls we're back with our second podcast of the season reviewing the month of August with all the energy and enthusiasm of a horse that's been allowed to graze on the hallowed turf of Ewood Park. It's been a busy old month, a bright start on the field and off the field, more arrivals than Heathrow Airport at the end of Love Actually. No sign as yet, though, of Claudia Schieffer at Brockhall. Well, at least a time of record. listening to the
0: brfcs podcast the only podcast approved to cover the 2018-2019 season by the new york city rovers don't forget to check out www.brfcs.com
3: we have a panel we have special guests so let's press on our first panel is slotted in on debut with aplomb and so she retains a starting berth more creative even than casey palmer it's jen bellamy how are you jen
4: i um, very well thank you kindly I'd love to be as creative as Casey Palmer's hair which I find enchanting but rather than that it's been a rather good week to be a Rovers fan hasn't it? It certainly, considered. Has.
3: it certainly has and we'll talk about all of that stuff later on, I'm sure. Now, if only pesky copyright issues didn't prevent us from using music clips. She is, of course, the hot stepper of Ewood, currently walking virtually from Ewood to Disney Paris with the help of many enthusiastic followers. It's the fundraising queen of Rovers, Linds Lewis. Linds, how's it going?
1: Good, thank you. And I think that's my first ever intro that hasn't mentioned Craig Conway. So I feel like a professional journalist now.
3: i thought we wouldn't get away totally without mention of him but there we go (laughs) how how many steps today
1: um let me consult the fitbit 14,756
3: that's pretty good pretty good indeed splendid and finally his blog set the agenda which is great because it means that i can just copy and paste and i don't have to worry about thinking up topics for myself the marple leaf is back michael taylor how do we find you this evening
5: yeah super thanks Ian.
3: Splendid. Well, that's your panel. Let's start with a review of the not-quite-closed-yet transfer window. We've had the permanent window close, but the loan window doesn't close until 5pm tomorrow. We're recording this on a Thursday night. And there's a number of questions, I think, that are floating around. So I'll start with Jen, if I may. Jen, why do you think we've left our business so late in both the permanent and the loan window?
4: I think a portion of that is systems, circumstances beyond our control of when the funds came in, when the Venkis decided that, yeah, go for it, or were they always there and it was the people, because other clubs are doing other things at different times and we've got to wait for the guys that were on the board behind all the people that we signed. I'm not sure it, it, it was all our call. I, I don't believe the conspiracy theorist that we just started chucking money around in the last two days of the permanent window. I think we always wanted Bererton. We we know that Mowbray waits for the ones that he wants. Hence why we got Bell in January because he waited.
3: It does seem that there is uh, an underlying. I think the conspiracy theories. Let's deal with that one first of all, because at least one of the conspiracy theories has to be shot now. Because there's the conspiracy theory that the bids weren't genuine, and we were doing it to um, just to ameliorate the fans, but. That, that obviously isn't the case because Parish What's a poppycock. In. Absolutely. Where, where do you think the money's come from, Jen?
4: From the Venkies, obviously. Um, I don't know if chicken sales are up or fried chicken sales are up. I, to be perfectly honest, I'm not asked. But <laughs> the fact that they're backing us is all that I want, all that I need. And the, they're obviously trusting, like we are, in what Mowbray's trying to do. He's got Waggett now with him. And if they're following his lead, let them follow because they've followed some utter numpties previously.
3: Fair enough. Michael, from your perspective, what do you think this new approach signifies then?
5: It signifies that they're taking the ownership of the football club seriously for the first time in a few years. I think um, that was a really, really good point that you made there, Jen, about trust. They've been clearly taken for a ride if they go back to when they bought the club eight years ago. Um, from the people who introduced them to football right through to all sorts of, as you put it so elegantly, numpties and I think now they've got a manager who they trust who has made some very wise decisions in the transfer market with pretty much no budget and they're doing the same now and I think they've got the, the wage bill under control we've talked about all the accountancy issues before which probably are of little interest to Rovers fans The main issue is we've got a team that's winning and I think that's going to be a thread that's going to dominate the conversation on our pod tonight is that we seem to be a club that's got the winning feeling back and if that's now percolated right up to the owners then fantastic.
3: So this week we've seen, obviously, Ben Brereton come in on loan, and that will be um, turned into a permanent signing on the 1st of January. And Rich Sharp, I think, in one of his tweets, he sort of said, that that's going to happen. It's not kind of if, buts, maybe, is conditional. It's going to happen. So we're going to spend that money. Uh, Harrison Reid come in as well uh, from from Southampton. So... Where do you think the squad stands now at the end of this window compared to, say, at the beginning of August, Michael?
5: I think it's much stronger still, and it surprised me. I thought I think I said on the last podcast that we were a good squad, that we were stronger than we had been, and we we're in good good place to make um a strong challenge in the championship. The fact that we've actually been strengthening the team. Right through. I mean, apart from getting another goalkeeper in, and I think we've strengthened in all departments. And you need competition for places. You need you need the players who are playing really well to think I need to be playing even better. Absolutely. And I think we've we've seen that. I think we've got competition for places right through the team, and we, we've seen the dangers of having a squad that you think, oh, well, we've got Graham and we've got Samuel and Dak, and we've got all these forwards. Why have we signed Armstrong? And suddenly you have two injuries in one match, yes. and you think, thank God, we've got a big squad we're here and uh, we're you know we're fighting on all fronts
3: linds from your perspective which of the new signings has caught your eye
1: i really like Rosswell, from what i've seen um not just because of his lovely lovely hair and i think i tweeted within the kind of first 20 minutes at hull how fantastically wonderful armstrong is and i'd forgotten a little bit i was you know excited when he came back but obviously it's been a little while since we've seen him in some blue and white halves and the pace is just ridiculous. Obviously, it's unfortunate with the injury. You just, everywhere you look, as they said, there's there's competition for places and, and that's so exciting. You know, your heart kind of breaks when you see your best players go off. But actually, for the first time, you're thinking, we've got people who can not necessarily fill those shoes but offer something different. Yeah, and, and I like that.
3: Very much so. Well, what's your take on the Rodwell signing, Lens?
1: I was a little bit angry. And I will make that confession. So I was driving back. Um, and stopped at the services and saw that we were linked to him and was outraged and kind of tweeted in anger and then had a kind of two-hour drive home where I thought perhaps I'd been a little bit hasty. I wasn't thrilled he's not what I like about football I'm not keen on his temperament I'm not keen on his attitude I don't like people who get paid 70 grand a week to go on holiday but he's here now Mowbray's seen something in him so when he did sign I sort of said fair enough he's one of our own now he's been given an opportunity to reinvent himself and to reward that faith and I hope he gets himself fit and he offers some competition for places but for me it's make or break for him now but if Mowbray sees something in him he's absolutely fine by me so I retract my angry Tweet for something a bit more reasonable now
3: possibly a bigger risk for him than it is for us i think i mean we don't we don't know what wages is on but clearly he's not been signed on a long term deal so he's not going to drain us like sunderland michael your thoughts
5: um i remember the anger that i felt that certain players who now sit on the match of the day sofa took us for a ride uh, danny murphy i'm talking about and every time i see him i feel angry when he pontificates about football and you know, we see leon best and a uh, who you know the players that were signed on big money, and so I've got good mates who are Sunderland fans, and I kind of was a bit embarrassed when we signed Rothwell. I actually said Rodwell, in the confines of Rod our well, Rod Rod- well. Rodwell, Rodwell, <laughs> I, I was about to say the biggest danger about signing Rodwell is, I'm is getting confusion. Getting Rothwell, absolutely, yeah. But I said not on Twitter as Linz did, but in the confines of our car on the way to the match. We should avoid like the plague anyone from Sunderland. What a toxic club that's been. Yeah. And and I followed it probably a little closer than, 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 than most average fans because I've got good mates who are Sunderland fans. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I shared all that anger, but, do you know what, if we turn his career around and he turns out to be a quality pro and he puts all that behind him and we're the catalyst for doing that, then, you know, I'm a Catholic. I'm all in favour of redemption.
3: <laughs> good man. Jen, your thoughts on Rodwell, Rodwell, Rodwell.
4: <laughs> positive pants, me Rodwell. Very positive, positive pants, me Rothwell, a whore. We like him. Um but Reeve well, if we've got the Everton lad from speaking to a lad at work there's, there's a big Everton fan, I know there's been a there have been a few years in between. But the fact that he went back to Everton to train after Sunderland, he wants to keep on playing. He wants to play his football, which Sunderland fans might shut things at me for saying that that he does. But I believe in Tony and I trust him but he's not he's not gonna he there's not a catt nails chance that he'd entertain the likes of Danny Murphy. Whereas Rob, well, if he wants to be good enough for a team, Mowbray's not going to let him in until he's back to full fitness and he's playing the way that he wants him to play, that fits in with the lads that we've got. He's not going to disrupt our team by having a big, I did this, I did that, I yeah. signed for City. That that makes no sodding difference as far as Mowbray's concerned. That you've got to be good enough to gel with our team. He keeps on saying you've got to fit in with what we've got, and what we've got, our core is built in that team spirit a bunch of lands that eventually for what feels like about five years we've got a bunch of lads that are playing for the badge on the shirt and that's all I'll ever ask.
3: It's in, I always think it's interesting when managers take on projects like this because uh, of course a manager that we're acquaint, well acquainted with who, who did this regularly is Big Sam who would take on a player that either people thought were past his best or was uh, needed turning around, and he, he would invariably do it. And I do think that managers every now and then like to think, maybe I, maybe I can get a tune out of this guy, and I wonder if this is what, what Mowbray's brought Rodwell in for. I don't think he'll be on that much money. I, I don't see how he could be, and Mowbray have credibility with the squad, so I think it's it's a managed risk. We shall see. We shall see, I guess. We've strengthened this squad now, and I think we did our predictions before an awful lot of these players came in. Do we want
4: to revise them? Jen, where do you think we'll finish? I'll go more heart than head. I'll go
1: with my heart of eighth.
4: Yeah. Michael?
3: I'll stick to eighth.
4: Linz?
1: I said tenth, and I'm sticking.
3: Cool. I think I said 19th before we'd signed... um, That's got to go up. Armstrong, yeah. Now, with this squad, I think you've got to be looking at mid-table. You really do have to look at the mid table. Yeah. Assuming we don't get loads of injuries, of course, we have seen.
1: We should just yeah. end the pod there. Let's just <laughs> get, it. Let's get it no better than
3: that. So, thanks for joining us, everybody. It's <laughs> our short- shortest episode so far, which might make it even more popular. No, 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 I didn't say that. A little while ago on the BRFCS forum, I put out an appeal for people who wanted to make some contributions to the podcast, talking about subjects of their choice, and Bill Arthur very kindly replied, and he sent us a little audio file from Canada, talking about his earliest memories of supporting Blackburn Rovers. Hope you enjoy it.
6: Your first football match defines your love for the rest of your sporting life. I have to admit, I can't actually remember my first game at Ewood. But it would have been in the 58-59 season following the promotion to Division 1 in 57-58 as a result of that famous win at Charlton. I can still see my dad glued to the radio for updates on that and the excitement and relief we felt when it was over. 1959-60 is always remembered for the FA Cup run and the final. In those days the kids used to be able to sit on benches over the wall right round the ground and I was sitting over the wall at the Blackburn end in a crowd of over 53,000 for the quarter-final replay against Burnley. As two goals went in during extra time, there was the joy of winning, but also the shared excitement and the pleasure of being only a few feet from the action and from our heroes. In those days, my mum was working nights at Rock Hall Hospital, and my dad decided we should go and tell her what the result was. But as soon as she saw my face, she knew what the result was. She didn't have to ask. There are few records of the 1963-64 season, except in the Lancashire Telegraph archives, but it is one that will stay in my memory bank forever. I was 14 when the season started inauspiciously, with a home loss to Liverpool. After two away wins and a home draw, the season came alive with an unforgettable 7-2 win against Spurs. Just under 21,000 saw Brian Douglas tear Spurs apart, providing assists, although they weren't called assists in those days for Andy McAvoy and Fred Pickering, a performance that would be repeated time and time again that season. I was on cloud nine after that game, and devoured every newspaper I could to relieve the experience. A week later, Rovers won 5-1 away at Wolves, and at that point I thought something special was happening. October was a mixed bag, with two losses, two wins and a draw. But then we had a famous result at Everton, with Fred Pickering scoring a hat-trick in a 4-2 win. That was a special occasion to win away at Goodison Park as Everton were then the champions and were a really strong team and included in that team was the old Rovers favourite, Roy Vernon. I can still see Fred in my mind's eye after his third goal and remember the happy car ride home reliving the game. Games like that would keep me happy for a week until the next match and going to school on the following Monday was something to look forward to as we could talk through the game all over again and it would be even more special if Burnley had lost and we could goad their supporters. That was the start of an undefeated run, with seven wins and one draw. In that run, I recall another visit to Merseyside, and standing in the Anfield Road end, there was no segregation in those days, to witness a 2-1 win, with Andy McEvoy scoring a glorious winner. And then, who of my era could forget that wonderful Boxing Day win of 8-2 at West Ham? There were no minute-by-minute reports, so we did not know how many goals were going in, and when the final score came through it was with disbelief that we heard the news. Eight goals away to West Ham? Really? And top of the league? What a treat we had to look forward to in the return match at Ewood two days later. With newspaper articles predicting cricket scorecards would be needed for the return fixture, the inevitable happened and Rovers lost 1-3. Results after that were a bit mixed, but we were still well placed in the table and of course there was a cup to look forward to. After easy 3rd and 4th round wins, we had a court's easy draw at Oxford. But the magic of the cup was with Oxford, and we crashed out 1-3. It's a great feeling when you're the underdog in a cup tie and win. It's a miserable feeling when the underdog beats your team. A 5-0 win at Bolton and a 5-2 win at Leicester meant things were looking good again in the league. But then came one of those great disappointments for a fourteen year old fan whose football life revolved around rovers. Fred Pickering was sold to Everton. Unbelievable news. How could they sell him with the club in their best position for years? It was especially disappointing as I don't recall any speculation about him being sold, and it was a bolt from the blue. What would we do without him? Well, George Jones was the answer, except he wasn't. He was brought in from Bury as a replacement that damage was done. After a draw at Birmingham, Rovers went on to lose their next five games, and did not win again until the final game of the season against Ipswich, finishing 7th in the league. Huge disappointment for this 14 year old fan after a great season with so many memorable games, and 89 goals in 42 league games. You don't always have to be a winner to enjoy a season, says someone 55 years later, but the 14 year old doesn't see it that way. And I can relate to those TV pictures we see with kids crying when their team loses a game. I don't ever remember crying at a bad result, but I often felt like it. There have probably been more downs than ups, but my love stays forever with the club I first watch. Even though work and life have taken me far from Ewood, it's still my football home. Uh,
3: inspired by Michael, in his blog recently, he wrote, it feels like the whole club has been on loan and has come back so much better. So, Michael, what do you think we've learned from our experiences last season based on what we've seen so far?
5: Yeah, my, my thoughts at the beginning of last season, just to go back on that, was that I felt that we were a club that had forgotten how to win, that we didn't have enough winners running through the team. None of the players, apart from possibly more grew, had ever actually you know, lifted trophies, you know, won leagues, things like that. That was my major worry. And that's the thing that Mowbray has instilled in this team. They've got the winning habit. We, play a, we played a game like we did against Brentford, and it was a game plan that was designed to win that game of football. It wasn't to win purist hearts. It wasn't to win any awards for possession or for stylish football. It was to win that game of football. I think, on the whole... That's the major thing that's got running through the team. How many games did we win last season? Probably more. We've got, probably got more points than in any time that I've ever supported Rovers. And that's infectious. And that's f- feeds its way right through the club. I think the fans have benefited from being in <laughs> League One. We all had a great time last season, rather than just plodding around the lower reaches of the championship. And as I said before, it's also, the owners have thought, hold on a minute, we're onto something here. This club could get its way back to you know, where the big money is. It's where they're going to get an exit if they ever get back to the Premier League, so they can be shut of this asset. Or if you have been really generous, they want to make good to the honest promises they made when they took over the club that, have, that turned so sour. And, and I think that's where we are the Brentford game was just magnificent and, and Lynn said she loved this game as well the main thing was just the fighting performances across the midfield Brentford I thought was soft as soft as anything and they and Mowbray would never say this because he's too much of a gentleman in his post-match interviews, he just he said oh we respected Brentford, I reckon he got them in the changing room, he says come on lads this lot, softer than Jesses triangular, ticky tacky football come on Evans, come on Bennett Absolutely, give these guys a torrid time like they've never had this season before. Because he watched the Aston Villa game and he saw Brentford, you know, come back to make it two all. Yeah, and I thought, yeah, give him, a, give him a good physical encounter like they've never had before.
3: We certainly battled hard in that game. I thought that was, yeah, uh, that, yeah. that was a certainly a continuation from last year. Lins then of last year's squad, who do you think seems to be enjoying the championship the most?
1: I suppose I'm quite predictable. I love who I love, but the joy for me this season has been people who perhaps would never feature in my thoughts. And I'm just loving what they're doing. Nayambi, fantastic. You know, two seasons ago at Hull, that boy, I would never have predicted at Wolves. Sorry. I would never have predicted he would become the player that he is. Raya, every time the ball goes through, I'm confident he's going to save it. Um, Corey Evans, obviously I appreciate not the most popular of, you know, Rovers players, but for me, it's about what he does on the pitch, and he's been fantastic. And I think my obvious kind of pick, and I've been accused of being an Elliot Bennett fangirl before, and I wear that with pride, is Benno. Benno is loving his time back in the championship. He's leading from example, he's running his heart out. I could watch that video that Rovers produced of him from the Brentford game literally continuously. And um, but I think that is the joy. The joy is people really stepping up you've got your obvious kind of people who were always going to do well and that's no disrespect to Dak and mulgrew and Lenehan. but i'm really enjoying the people who i weren't expecting to be as good as they are stepping up and it's it's really really nice to see
3: i think um, evans has been sensational I think ever, ever since he had that altercation with some of our fans in the service station, brackets, allegedly, brackets, he seems to have uh, really Who turned knew it on that on the Port pitch.
1: Vale, pre-season friendly, <laughs> would, you know, dictate our season in the championship? No,
3: that's, that's the catalyst. That certainly has been the catalyst. Now, I, the next question I put on the running order before... Um, what apparently has happened early this evening, which is um, a bid has come in from West Bromwich Albion, possibly up to a laughable amount. And the question was, which player will be the first to have their head turned by bigger clubs? So, Jen, I'm going I'm to throw this one in your direction. Um, who do you think is, is most susceptible in the squad to having their head turned by the big, attractive clubs in higher divisions?
4: It's the obvious one, isn't it? Is that, however... I trust in Mowbray again, which is, it's, I'm a repetitive arse, aren't I? That um, he plays for him and he loves his team, especially if we can get Chapman in as well, which I was a little bit wary about with the injury thing. But if he gets his boys back behind him, Dak's comfy with us. There's a lot to be said about being a big fish in a little pond. We maybe need to draft Bentley in to have a word with him.
3: Yes, the dangers of leaving prematurely.
4: Yes, Do as much as you can do first. If we don't get up to the premiership time, which, if we're perfectly honest, none of us are expecting to. And so in the summer, then yes, if he performs the way that he possibly can do in this league, we're going to have to say goodbye. Mm -hmm. However, if we can get up into those playoff spots and be pushing or getting near to them and be pushing, then he might still stick with us. If we don't get up within two three years, we're going to lose Lennyan as well because he's too good for this league. As yeah, he grows and that. matures, there's others as well. Raya
0: yeah. is
4: going to get better and better and better. Like Lindsay said, Nyambi will go on. We've got so many good players. And shout out to Rothwell again. He's he's impressed me phenomenally from what I've seen this season. I have all the plaudits in the world for him. Even better than Casey Palmer's hair. <laughs> is Rothwell
3: <laughs> indeed? so I think in tonight's Telegraph Rich Shop quoted Rovers as saying uh, there's no way that Dak is leaving yeah, he's priceless, there's no no amount of money that we'd sell him for I mean it's, it's a great statement but realistically let, let, let's play real politic now shall we and sort of say what is the sum of money that realistically would make Rovers think hang on a minute, we could do a lot with that Michael do you want to have a punt? yeah
5: £25 quid with a sell-on clause as well.
3: Yeah.
5: Um, I think Barnsley built a new stand and a whole new team, didn't they, on the back of the John Stones money when he got transferred to City.
3: Yeah.
5: Uh, I think we've got to insist on that and be quite ruthless in the transfer market. But he's got to go to a premiership club. Absolutely. He's not going to go to a premiership just on the back of a couple of good seasons in League One. He's got to really perform this season. And if we're the beneficiaries of that, fantastic. I want Dak to light up this division. I think he's totally capable of it. Um, it's disappointing he's got injured, but I think he absolutely can. And I think it would be a step backwards for him to go to. If he's thinking of his career trajectory, a big club in the Championship that's going places is my next step. Well, we're that club. Yes. We're his next step. Hurrah. If, then beyond that, then it, yeah, fine, go to a Premiership club. You know, go to Bournemouth or.
3: Someone like that, Conor oh, Mahoney. Yes, down that particular Southampton. Road. You know, yeah. Look what happened to Conor Mahoney. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Linz, what would you? Uh, what? What? How big would the check have to be to make you consider selling?
1: Well, I don't know because the world's gone mad, doesn't it? Nobody's actually yeah. worth whatever anybody bids for them. I was thinking West Ham came in with twenty-five mil for Tom Kearney and they turned it down. Is Dak as good as Kearney? I'd consider 25 upwards for yeah. me, but as cheesy as it sounds, he is priceless to us at the moment, not just yeah. in terms of his footballing ability. Yeah. But he is the glue that seems to have brought that squad together. And, you know, I've been quite open that I questioned his character when he first came to Rovers and I was wrong to do that. Um, so I think it's that impact as well. It's not just the football ability we've shown since he's been injured. We can cope, but it's the unity, the banter, the pranks that he brings to the squad that we would also miss as well.
3: Yeah, he, do, he does seem to, to to bring, as you say, a lot more off the field as well. But there are things that he does on the field that nobody else at the club is capable of. Uh, Casey Palmer might be able to do some of those things and other players might be able to do some of them, but that whole package together. I think we're priceless to duck. Um, oh, I, I like
1: think... that. Well, we shall yeah, see. We're not,
3: we're not wishing him away. Jen, is there a number that would tempt
4: you?
1: I, I agree
4: with what everybody said, to to be dull. But yeah, 25 plus. But actually, just don't go. Big fish, small pond, better than small pond. I agree with that.
3: Agree.
5: Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, if Alan Nixon's listening to this, and I'm sure he isn't,
3: um, I think he <laughs> <laughs> should have speculation. That, if he that is, that though, and he wants to come on as a guest, then uh, you know how to contact us.
5: Well, I wouldn't know because he blocked me ages ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if if anyone is and they're writing stories and speculation, then you know I think there's there's a couple of really good players at Rovers that should be attracting massive bids. There's this lad Gladwin who's been languishing in the reserve.
0: There's a young
3: prospect called Whittingham, I think. Oh, Whittingham! Oh, yeah. good about yeah. his left foot.
5: And uh, and as for Paul Caddis, I mean, oh, he transformed that game against Brentford from the bench. Yeah, we'll, we'll with definitely his run, talk about runs up and down the touchline.
3: We'll, we'll definitely talk about uh, Cadis's contribution uh, <laughs> this week later on in the pod. Super, right? That's the that's that bit done. Let's now turn on to our performances during August because I think it's been it's been a really good month um, on balance. But as always, there, there are things to pick at and chew over and have a look at. So, Ipswich, Jen, do you want to kick
4: us off? Thoughts on Ipswich? You'd have taken the scoreline before we set off. Is my thought? It was gutting. It it felt like a loss at the end because it's that last minute, which is a, an absolute kick in the if you have them. Those, um, <laughs> however, but it's a difficult ground for us to go to. We've had a history of getting absolutely sod all from there. So to come come away with a point, I'd, I'd take it. Michael, your perspective.
5: I was disappointed we let a late goal in and I thought here we go again is this going to be the story of our season are we are we mentally not strong enough to hold on to these leads that's the negative the positive was Dak lighting up this division which I know he's totally capable of doing
3: I have to say one of the things that um, I, I remembered from the Ipswich game which is uh, <laughs> after you, you commented on Amari Bell so like are like being predicted oh, to yeah. start the season. Then Terry <laughs> Williams did a lung-busting run to to create Dak's goal. So maybe yeah. when, when he's back to full fitness again, we should do special pods where you can sort of say, I think Bell should be picked ahead of Williams and then he can do more of those lung-busting runs.
5: To, to be fair, I didn't say Bell is better than Williams. What I said was I suspect Mowbray prefers Bell as his... As his Preferred option in that position too, William. Yeah, but it's, not, it's not as good, is it, to
3: have a go at no, you? No, no, no. <laughs> we don't let the truth get in the way. And let's be honest, yeah, I do not have oh, a yeah. track record on this podcast
0: <laughs> <laughs> of predicting
3: future performances of our players. Anyway, we'll move on quickly from that. Uh, we then had our first home game against Millwall. Uh, Michael, uh, what we—what was your takeaway from the, the Millwall fixture?
5: That we're going to be playing teams that in certain key positions on the pitch are going to be a little bit better than they were in the division we played in last season. And the difference was, we'd have won that game if it wasn't for Millwall's goalkeeper. I thought he had an absolute blinder. And um, I thought we probably did enough to win it. We were the better team. They came at us in the first half. As a, That fantastic QPR um, webpage that you wrote for did a brilliant rundown on all the teams in this division, which I think we should savour and save. And it said, how, you know, physical and athletic and yeah. strong and forward forward going Millwall were and they were but actually once once Dad got his foot round the ball on a couple of occasions and I thought going forward we look we look good looked strong and up for it and ready to compete with anyone and they're, they're a decent side yes they are um, but their goalkeeper was magnificent <laughs> how we stopped the I think I think Dak or Armstrong would have scored both of the chances that Graham had at his feet. At that, to be fair to
3: yeah, uh, Dan to Danny, I thought man of the match in the first half was our goalpost though. Uh, it has to be seen. Oh yeah, uh, that was good. And also, one thing from that game was actually after the game, and it was re- really, really refreshing, particularly for those of us who have been exposed. And um, Neil Warnock's um, post uh, post match uh, interviews, which uh, Neil Harris was very, very open honest there was, it was it, yeah we played well in the first half We could have scored we didn't they played well in the second half they could have scored didn't on balance yeah probably a fair result i'm happy with the point coming away from here i mean there was no bravado there was no blaming the referee or anything like that and i thought that is an unusual post-match mm-hmm. compare and contrast with mark hughes for instance yeah, some no horses. Class, it, Harry? yeah, yeah. There was no mention of horses, but again, we'll, we'll probably touch on that shortly. Uh, we then went away to Hull, and a, a really, really energetic start. I thought, Linz, what was your takeaway from the Hull game?
1: Oh, I had the best time. Like the first twenty minutes were some of the best football I've seen us play in a long time. But Classic Rovers really, lots of chances, didn't take them. Spent a kind of nervous fifteen minutes biting. My 30 quid a time nails, so you know it cost me a fortune supporting this team. Um, but yeah, really enjoyed it. Obviously, disappointed with the injuries, but all in all, I felt it should have been comfortable for us. And three or four wouldn't have flattered us at all.
3: No, I tend to agree with that. Um, it was, I thought our movement and our passing in that opening 20 25 minutes was absolutely first class.
1: Really, yeah, I would agree. And we... shout out to the away fans as well I think because that was my first away game of the season and it was packed, it was a really good atmosphere, sang for 90 minutes and I think my concern was going back into the championship would we get that same level of follow but I think it was over a thousand tickets sold and it was a really really good atmosphere.
3: Yeah and let's, not, let's make mention also of the, uh, the pricing policy at Hull which is to put it mildly controversial for those of you who don't know there are no concessions which of course affects an away side once in a season but for the Hull fans. If you've got kids or uh, disabled people, old age pensioners that want to go and watch, no concessions at all. So, frankly, uh, the smaller the crowds that they get, the better. But I think it was a, it was a great day and a good win. It was nice to get three points on the board, which then brought us back to Ewood for the Reading game. Now, uh, if ever there was a game of two halves, Jen, thoughts on Reading game? Take off
4: that First half wasn't good, was it? Um... That first goal that I'd turn around to par because par had come as my, <laughs> my good luck charm. I had to turn around and go, This isn't going to plan, par. It shockingly not allowed to say the next word, but it rhymes with hit. Yet the second half is. What our lads are about, and they realised that in the first half they didn't do what they were supposed to do. They didn't close them down, and then the injuries with with Armstrong going off, and everything just went completely to pot. But the second half, which is a little bit like the Millwall game, organs blazing.
3: Yeah, very much
4: so. So it used to be that in the olden championship days, that if we went a goal down, we were screwed, and that was us done. You kind of took your radio in the bin, or you. Go, we, we know what's going to happen here, but now the lads fight for it and said that's not good enough. We've got to go down, we're going to get it back. And you've got that belief now that they're going to work their bottoms off to get that back.
3: On that bombshell, given the giving away the time that we're recording, uh, a Greek side has just qualified for the next phase of the Europa League. Yeah, let's throw that one in there, right? <laughs> um, Linz, Reading game, um, you, you obviously had problems having to sit amongst some rabble. But other than that, what was your take
1: on the Reading game? I mean, it was emotional. I was transferred over to the Riverside. I couldn't see because of the boards. I couldn't see because of the posts. I mean, it's very difficult to comment on the game. I think for me, what I was most disappointed with in the first half was it honestly seemed like they didn't care. And I was getting flashbacks to kind of the time... No-one seemed to care. Everybody just looked a little bit lost. But, uh, but you know, I, I took five minutes at half-time and one of the rabble pointed out to me that I was actually wrong. Um, and I took that on board. And Rovers came out much more positively in the second half, as did I. Um, I thought Charlie took both the penalties incredibly well. And I think we could have won it and probably wouldn't have flattered us second half.
3: Um, which then brought us back to we would again on Saturday for the Brentford game. Michael? Any thoughts about grazing horses or uh, anything else you want to mention about Brentford?
5: No, I mean, in stark contrast to Millwall's manager, Neil Harris, as we discussed, being gracious and honest and realistic. And Paul Clement, the Reading manager, was as well about um, his team's performance and getting a point from Ewood. Uh, Dean Smith, the Brentford manager, was talking out of his backside, frankly. We, we, We duffed him up. And it's been a long time. I think I think Rovers have always had, since Mark Hughes, a soft underbelly. You know, we've been able to be brushed aside by physical sides. Quality often shone out last season, but I think the whole experience of last season has toughened the side up. And you can't blame the pitch, no. Mm-hmm. I think I think basically he realizes his team got a bit of a kicking, and they couldn't match Rovers for effort. He can't, but you can't. You can't factor into it the kind of quality that we show right across the middle.
3: I think, uh, yeah, I think to be having a go at the pitch in August, oh. well, yeah, it's almost like you, know, you realise that people have camera phones and can take pictures and sort of say, really? Oh. Did you see, um, have you seen any of the clips of the um, Real Valladolid versus Barcelona game?
0: Yes. Uh, as anybody,
3: yeah. see, where, where the pitch now was laid two field. days before. Absolutely extraordinary. They, I think, you've got rights to complain, but not uh, not on the basis of of what we saw there. So, uh, mm, sour grapes, I think, very much so on that. And then lastly, yeah. in August, we had our Carribeau Cup tie with Lincoln. Um, a lot of changes, probably the right thing to do, and when you saw the, the result at full time, definitely the right thing to do. A, a trivia quiz question of the future, I think, in Joe and Simon Grayson. So Joe Grayson, the son of Rover's legend, is that the right one? <laughs> Simon Grayson uh, made his debut. And then a real collector's item. There's any? I, I presume we've all seen it, at least on the highlights, Cadiz and Downing, anybody want to talk us through the slick Barcelona-style interplay? <laughs> That's a no, then. <laughs> Cadiz bursting down the right wing with a lung-busting run <laughs> pulls it back for Downing, who side-foots it Iniesta-style into the bottom right-hand corner. Absolutely extraordinary stuff.
5: Well, it's great from Paul Downing and uh, fair play to him, but I hope that is attracting the attention of scouts
3: who uh, (laughs) could do with a
5: a Paul Caddis-type character in their
3: League One side. Yeah, for anybody that's sponsored by pies, yes. Uh, And the draw for the next round of the Cup tonight has landed us with uh, a local derby. Uh, Lindsay, you'll be going, no doubt.
1: I actually am going to go. It's it's
3: Bournemouth away for the. If anybody hasn't uh, hasn't clocked that by the time they listen to this, I'm sure. Who
1: wouldn't want to go to Bournemouth on a Tuesday or a Wednesday night? It's only three and a half hours for me, so I'll go and do my bit because it's much further for people who are actually based in Blackburn. Back
3: back at half two in the morning, is it standard?
1: It's like Gillingham all over again. I can't wait.
3: In in work for eight the following day.
1: If my boss is listening, yes. If well, she's working not, from
3: home, anyway, no. it yeah, I'll be working from home. <laughs> Quite right too. Well, we should look forward to that. Uh, who knows the strength of the side that Bournemouth will pick? Uh, hopefully, we will uh, we'll be able to use some of our new signings to good effect. And uh, I'd love, I'd love a cup run, gotta be honest. Excellent. So that's the on the field stuff. We're going to take a little break now, and then we'll come back later on and we'll talk about the off the field stuff. <music> Some of you listening might have bought the latest edition of the excellent 4,000 Holes fanzine, and if you haven't, I strongly urge you to do so. And in there is an article that caught my eye, written by Ian Futter, long-time contributor to 4,000 Holes. And he travels to Watch Rovers from Landudno. Not only that, but he originally hails from Hornchurch in Essex, and he wrote a very interesting piece about it doesn't really matter where you come from to support a team. And I liked the article so much, I asked him if he'd record it for our podcast and he has done hope you enjoy this piece
7: I was born in Essex and now live in North Wales I was first taken to Rovers by my granddad who lived in Little Harwood in Blackburn. my first game at Ewood was Rovers v West brim on the 16th of April 1966 the old first division I can still remember the names of most of the players that played that day had the greats like Ronnie Clayton and Brian Douglas in the team. Rovers lost 1-0, but I was hooked on Rovers that day and i have been a fan ever since. As a 12-year-old at the time, I was unaware that it was Rovers' seventh consecutive defeat and of course shortly after that relegation from the old 1st Division. Another of my interests started that day when I brought the Max Day Programme since then I have collected loads of Rovers programs from home and away games. As well as my programs I also have team photos, press pictures, books, autographs and scrapbooks. Amongst my favourite items are a signed shirt by all the championship winning team from '95, and a shirt given to me by Colin Hendry and signed by him. Also I have a, a 1960 FA Cup replica shirt. Uh, signed for me by the late Ronnie Clayton. Uh, He did it in the club shop for me after we'd been on a a ground tour with him. Of course the old programme for my first government always be special as it was where it all started for me really. My son Steve and son-in-law Mike Dillard also share my love and support of this wonderful club, Blackburn Rovers.
3: Okay, welcome back, everyone. We've talked about um, on-the-field activities there, we're going to come back now and just sort of review off-the-field activities. We did have a little chat just before the break about um, what would it take to get us to part, part with DAC. Um, we've done some live interaction with our audience. Lynn. do you want to share findings so
1: far? Well, obviously, if I'm not on Twitter, five-minute intervals, people think I'm dead. So I just put a tweet out while we were talking asking what people would be willing to consider to tempt us to sell DAC. So, the lowest has come in at 12 million and the highest at 30 before anybody would even contemplate it. Other people offering 15, 25, and somebody saying he's absolutely priceless as he's essential to our promotion.
3: Mm. Oh, I, I think we all agree he's an incredibly valuable asset. I wouldn't sell him for 12 or 15. I've got to be honest.
1: Oh,
3: no. That feels like a bit of a giveaway. Almost like trading them in for Tesco reward vouchers or something like that at that level. Anyway, right, a couple of topics for discussion. Well, first one, largely inspired by Michael's recent blog. So if any of you hasn't visited the Marple Leaf blog, I would warmly recommend it. Uh, always, a, always some interesting, thought-provoking stuff that Michael posts there. And I'd like to just talk about, I suppose, the commercial reality of football as it is. Uh, particularly with regard to sponsorships how do, how do we how do we feel about having so many betting companies sponsoring football clubs? how do we feel about be having a vaping company sponsoring the school board in the Darwin end? all that sort of good stuff Michael, what was it that, that prompted you to write that bit in your blog?
5: Well it started off with being dazzled by those ridiculous LED lights. <laughs> so the advertising <laughs> completely caught my attention and as I was like blinded by each transition. I thought to myself, but what actually the advertising? Because usually I can just blank it out. And it was betting company after betting company after yeah. betting company. Then it came up with a, a dodgy fast food chain that you can't even buy their product in England, Benkis. Um, Never heard Umbro, of them. Umbro, which <laughs> are our kit supplier, and uh, Stanley Tools. And of all of them, the only one that I'd actually feel comfortable going out and purchasing, apart from Umbro, is Stanley Tools. I don't gamble. I don't agree with gambling. And I just think... And, and I think there's an overwhelming sense now that, like payday lenders, like uh, that, um, that gambling companies fit into that same bracket. They're taking money out of the pockets of the very people who are struggling to make the payments to buy their season tickets week, week in, week out, or month on month if they've got a, a payment plan. And they're, just, um, and they're just leeching off football. And surely someone in the Rovers commercial department can take the long view and think, who can we have have partnerships with that will actually benefit this community that we're a part of? How can we start attracting people? How can we support and partner with the businesses that create employment in the Blackburn area? The proudest sponsorship that I've had on my kids' shirts when they've worn them um, through the years was Crown Paints, not because I particularly like their brand of paints, but because they're a local employer in Blackburn. And it it saddened me that they fell out with WEC, again, an engineering business, on the outskirts of... um, Uh, of of blackburn who employ people and that's the sort of partnership that i think the club should be doing and as for a vaping company then frankly if i can't smoke a vape on a train because it's questionably not good for other people's health then why on earth is a professional sports club promoting something that is bad for people's health
3: so let me be let me be devil's advocate just to create a debate um, 1995 people uh, will remember that year I'm sure we were standing at Anfield and we were proudly lifting the Premier League trophy with shirts emblazoned with McEwan's lager
5: yeah because that's a product that fans like to buy that, that, that's a product that drink in moderation it, it, it's a daily reality I don't think gambling was anything like as prevalent then and I think it should be it's a very highly regulated industry and it should be I don't think it was right that you should have McEwan's lager or um, on kids' shirts because kids can't buy that product. And I don't think kids sh- should be uh, subjected to gambling and it's not as accessible as it, as it was, um, particularly as it's available digitally now as well.
4: See, back in the day with yeah, with the McEwen's lager thing, that I was of an age then that I I was working in a restaurant and I'd earned enough to be able to afford my first row of a shirt and mum said, you're not going around with lager on your shirt because my mum's a little bit more religious than my dad. Pa's a Methodist minister, by the way, for those of that, that don't know, which is why I drink quite a lot. Don't tell my dad. Um, but then so i but I support the football team, I do, because of Papa. And so I was dead excited when when I'd earned enough, and I said, Pa, I can afford a proper rubber shirt for the first time ever. And he turned around and said and said, No An daughter of mine is going around appetizing lager. I was like, Who? So I wrote to Jack Walker. Because they didn't do what they do now with the, the kids' shirts yeah. with no sponsor on when it, it's not allowed. And so my first Rovers shirt, proper Rovers shirt, came from Jack Walker. and oh, every Without, without every, a sponsor, it, w- Without the sponsor, really? yeah. And every person my dad met in the street, every person we spoke to, he, he mentioned this shirt to. Bear in mind, we were living in Barrowford, so <laughs> they all supported <laughs> the six-finger six people. Everybody knew <laughs> where yeah, my shirt go. came That's from. That's interesting. That's interesting. But I get that. It, it's kind of in a similar thing. I mean, Paj Dog came in very, very useful for me at school because mum got on a high horse about gambling and um, tombolas. And so I never, ever had to sell a raffle ticket for the school. <laughs> <laughs> it was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. But I I get it. it I get to, to play devil's advocate, though. The club can't say no because none of the local firms that we would like to invest I work for a local firm that would would love to invest in the club but we can't afford those numbers but the gambling companies can so you can't blame the club for saying yes to it as much as we would love it to be completely different and I I would personally but you can't the club can't turn it down However, did they, in the beginning of the Venkis days, is that not why we ended up with the Princess Trust? Because they turned the, well, yeah. the gambling companies it's, down.
3: It's, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's necessarily as, as clean... I, I, I take Michael's point that sometimes you have to play the long game. So I think it, it really depends on what's in Steve Waggett's objective, doesn't it? And if, if him and Mike Chester have been told that they've got to generate X amount of income and somebody comes in waving a cheque, and you sort of think, well, that, that moves us a long way towards hitting that target. Yeah, I fully understand it. But if there are more attractive options, I think I think it becomes a differentiator in the market. And mm-hmm. there are so many shirts now that are, have gambling companies on them. Um, it, it, it's it's certainly not a differentiator. I mean, last year we, we were sponsored by Daffabet. weren't we? you. Also sponsored, mm-hmm. off the top of my head, Aston Villa, Sunderland. Um, so mm-hmm. like, yeah, well, I've forgotten about them. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely yeah it's it's an interesting one um I, I would i would i would love it if we had something more community focused certainly
4: oh i would do it but i think that the club themselves are stuck between a rock and a hard place yeah, that they've yeah, got yeah, yeah. to go because i mean because the size of the logo i i abhor that the size of the logo on the shirt and the fact that it's black the fact that it doesn't fit in put an average pair of breasticles underneath it you can't even see our club logo I, i've got the training kit so far this season, I spent more time than was absolutely necessary in the club changing rooms, in and ahhing, because I, I didn't have my daughter or my husband with me. But all you can see is that blinking yeah. black thing, yeah. and I, I can't even see the Rovers. But I get why the club have done it. I, I even get why the betting company have done it, because it shows up more on the television screens. And so I get why their company have done it. The vaping thing, my heart says no, my work head says, but... But it is local, so it they are local. But it ah, there's
3: it's an interesting one. Maybe maybe we'll put a poll out on it just to see. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, well, worthy of topic. We're not going to come to any firm conclusions. But uh, Linz, I've not included you in the conversation. Have you any strong opinions one way or the on this sort of thing?
1: Um, I think it's a very personal thing, isn't it? So I do gamble. The gambling doesn't bother me necessarily. But I have a home and away shirt every year. If we were sponsored mm-hmm. by a payday loan company, not a hope in hell's chance. Would I have one? Categorically not. That's just something I feel very strongly on. Um, And I think for me, my concern around the gambling um, companies is the number of fans that I've seen on social media saying because of religious or cultural reasons, they can't have a shirt. And I do feel if we're trying to be a diverse club and, you know, rovers is a diverse community we need to be looking at alternatives for those fans so they're not excluded i understand from a revenue point of view but how can we be inclusive and diverse and we've got a multicultural faith room and a prayer room but we can't include some of our fans in that most basic need of a shirt
3: i think that's a great That's a great call. That it's a very, it's a very interesting one. Clearly, we're not privy to any of the numbers, so I don't know how many shirts they'd have to sell at a at a premium without the sponsor on to make back the money. But again, that plays to Michael's point about taking a wider view and playing the longer game about. And I think it's the volume
1: of sponsors as well. I mean, my home shirt hasn't got one on, but my away shirt has got the solicitors on the back of the shirt. I hate it. It sits really uncomfortably. I don't understand why the back of the bottom of my shirt needs to be sponsored as well. It seems like we'll sell anything to stick a random name on it, and I'm I'm not all for that really. Yeah, I saw We're going some, down the rugby route. I was just
3: going to say that we saw I saw some highlights of Leeds United away. Um, was it when they played Swansea a couple of weeks back or a few days ago? And their shirt, it, it did to me look like a very much like a rugby league. Kit. Mm. Or, or a French first division, if anybody's seen. Pictures of French first division yeah. size you can or a racing driver. Drivers. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, Lewis Hamilton FC. Okay, we're not going to come to any conclusions. Uh, if anybody's got any interesting observations or potential solutions for the Rover's commercial department, then let us know, and we'll gladly share them. Share them with the guys. Next topic is um, a sad one, but an inspirational one, I guess. Uh, Lenny John Rose recently um, announced that he was fighting motor neuron disease, which is a particularly cruel and debilitating illness. Michael, you spotted mention of it in Jim Wilkinson's Blue Eyed Boy blog, and you and I are of a vintage where we'll, we'll remember Lenny John Rose as a as a player at Rovers. Thoughts on, on that fate? Yeah,
5: it's such a sad, sad story. He comes across as such a lovely man when he was um interviewed on ITV about this terrible, terrible condition that he's not going to survive. It's it, it eats away. Uh, and he talked about and very soon I will be dead. And it just stops in your tracks when you hear things like that. And you just think it'd be lovely if Rovers could, could could try to do something to um, work with the other Lancashire clubs that he played for, Berry, Preston, Burnley, and think, well, you know, what about raising awareness for motor neurone disease? Um, I also remember what a great, um, no, he was never a great player, but he was a, he was part of the team that pretty much held it together during a difficult period before Jack's money started coming in. Yeah. and he scored a few cheeky goals, and he, he, he was part of that team. He didn't he wasn't able to stick around when Kenny Dalgleish kind of upped the quality when he came in, but uh, culturally as well, you know, he was the first black player to have made it through the ranks at Rovers through the academy. You know, he, he trod a path that. The likes of Ryan Nyambe have then followed, and those of us who watch football through the eighties will appreciate, I think, the significance of of what that represented in a town like Blackburn, with some of the some of the racial divides that um, that existed then and still do now.
3: Absolutely, I can remember when Don Mackay was sacked and one of Tony Parks' many caretaker spells. he, he brought a load of youngsters in of which Lenny John Rose was one, and we had a run of of great results, which which set the side up beautifully for when Dalglish came in. And then, of course, obviously we all know what happened next, and, and... Not many of those youngsters um, were able to, to able to stay and make their career, but it, like, he was one, as you said, Has moved around a number of Lancashire clubs. I've, I've heard or I've seen on Twitter uh, Swansea, another of his former clubs, trying to arrange something with Burnley. But as you say, given his, his prevalence in the East Lancashire area, it would be great if, uh, yeah. if something else could come. Really, really sad, really sad, but uh, tremendous credit to him as an individual for, for coming forward with that. So that's the off-the-field stuff uh, in September. We've got some very interesting fixtures lined up. Um, Linz, what, what are you looking forward to most from our, our scheduled uh, games in September?
1: Um, I'm off to Bristol on Sunday, which is a new ground for me. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, and Derby away, because obviously it's only like half an hour down the road for me, selfishly. So I might even be able to have a beer, which would be quite exciting. Obviously, I'll be getting the train, to be clear. um just in case anyone's thinking i'm drink driving so yeah they're probably the two walking
3: home down brianclough way
1: yes i miss stoke away because i'm in paris and i miss forest at home because i'm in benedorm so i'm a rubbish fan in september unfortunately it's tough at the top it
3: is what catches your eye of uh, the september fixtures
4: oh to to rubbish fans um i miss villa ewood which i'm absolutely gutted about because um, we've double booked with an engagement party Thanks to chuffing televised half-plus-five fixtures Oh, of course so, yes, for- Yeah, yeah. Um, forrest at home for me yeah. I Unfortunately, that- Dan won't be able to play, will he? Doesn't matter Armstrong's going to be fully fit by then Dak's going to be back Will I-, I want to beat them purely Because Brereton's going to be sitting in the stands As a Rovers player And we'll just go
3: <laughs> We should walk him around it- the pitch, shouldn't we, really?
1: Um, I was at Forest last night and they looked very good, just to put I on record. I thought they did as well. I very, very good.
3: Yeah, the lad lolly at left wing, um, very yeah. tricky. Mm.
1: I think, we're, But
4: also keep the faith that, yeah, we're, we're bouncing at the moment because, yes, we're five unbeaten and we're fifth in the table, even though I, my own mantra of don't look at the table till <laughs> November. Are you just but ignoring fifth, that now, Jen? kids, yeah. fifth. <laughs> um,
1: we're going to get beat at some point
4: i and really, really hope is, it's not
1: by forest selfishly for me i really oh yes. hope it
4: isn't but it's also it's for the the fan base that will hopefully start coming back in numbers to iwa Park to properly make it bouncing again Absolutely. but remember that good teams get beat too something Paul said to me last night that what mo brain's done in the team that we've got we're going to get beat at some point i i hope it's later rather than sooner but when it does don't Chuck your toys out or lose your shenanigans, <laughs> if and when that happens. It's it. The fun begins in September because we've, kept, with no disrespect to who we played before Brentford, were good. But the other guys, we, we've got Derby who have apparently been renamed Frank Lampard's Derby County. Um, mm. we've we've got Stoke that have come down from the Premiership. We, we've got some biggins coming up, and Indeed, Bristol yeah. City walloped Man United, which to be fair. Even I think Lincoln City could at the moment the, the the rate they're going, but we've got some bigger tests in September. But stick with the boys, please.
3: Absolutely, Michael. What's uh, what's in your calendar for September?
5: Yeah, hopefully I'll go to um, go to all. The, well, we'll be going to all the home games, and um, we've also got a, a tight schedule of university open days for uh, for kid three, um, which might mean we'll miss the Stoke game. But um, I'm looking at the fixtures performance-wise and I'm thinking, um, you know, we're going to get beat in this month for the first time. I just hope it's maybe just once.
3: Yeah.
5: And if we, I think we can capable of beating Villa, getting something from Bristol City. It'd be great to get one over on Frank Lampard. my tip for the sack
3: <laughs> yes, <of course>. pre-season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll have to get him on as a guest next month. <laughs> yeah. I'll put the and we've, ne- we've never,
5: ever got anything from the from Stoke's new stadium, whatever it's called this month, whichever betting company sponsoring bet it. now, 365
3: this time you're something just outside the A500 today. Yeah.
5: It? Yeah. Um, but it would be great too this time because they made a bit of a flaky start. If Wigan can go there and win 3-0 I'd like to think we can go there and win 4-0
3: but maybe that's just over
5: exuberance that would
3: be great Darby and Stoke away in the same week I think is an interesting one I'd like to to do both of those certainly I've not been to um, the Britannia Bet365 just off the A500 stadium I have been to the Victoria (laughs) Ground. That was that was an yes. interesting uh, visit. That was always a good away uh, away fixture. One of those oh, where, yeah. you, where you hid your scarf as you were walking out the ground and kept your head down and made no eye contact whatsoever. All good stuff. Right. And of course, there's the um, Caribou Cup, which drawn um, yes. away to Bournemouth. Yes, yeah. a mere spit and a stride. You know who 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 wouldn't want to nip down the road for that? So there we go. September's going to be interesting, as we say, probably tougher than August, but uh, all all stuff to look forward to. to the BRFCS podcast. The only podcast approved to cover the 2018-2019
0: season by the New York City Rovers. Don't forget to check out www.brfcs.com.
3: Welcome back and what a tremendous pleasure it is to introduce our latest guest. I've been a reader of When Saturday Comes magazine for more than 25 years now and a subscriber probably for at least half of that time. And I noticed a name that kept featuring in the magazine usually associated with articles about Blackburn Rovers. Not only is he a regular WSC contributor, but he's also found time to write a book called Hidden Culture, Forgotten History, which, in his own words covers East Lancashire radicalism, which sprang from the 1960s little poetry magazines of working-class writers and editors. Perhaps we'll touch on that later, it depends how the conversation about football goes, I guess. You may also have noticed his articles in 4,000 Holes over the years, and it seems we share a fondness for football kit history, as the latest issue contains part one of his A Short History of the Rovers in Five Kits. It's my great pleasure to welcome to the podcast Bruce Wilkinson. Bruce, how do we find you today? Fine. Just a bit of cold, but otherwise absolutely fine. Splendid. Right. Well, we'll we'll plough through and if you need to nip off and get some paracetamol (laughs) one night, then whatever. Super. Your um, When Saturday Comes biography says that you were born in Liverpool but raised in Lancashire. What's the story behind that? And at what point did you become aware of football, and perhaps in particular, Blackburn Rovers?
2: I was born in Liverpool because um, basically I was adopted um, as a a kind of baby, basically. So uh, Born in brought to Blackburn by my parents. My mother's side of the family, uh, who tended, who come from Chorley, uh, were all big Rover supporters. Um, so I was taken to Ewood from probably about the age of about four or five.
3: Okay.
2: Um, so I think my, my first game was in about 1971, um, and I stood in the Nuttall Street stand below the. Um, you know, the kind of main... The In the main enclosure. Stuff. Yeah, the enclosure, that's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> Can you yeah. remember who the first opponents were? I, I, I think... I think it was Rotherham.
0: Okay.
3: Can't be a hundred percent. Illustrious
2: fixture. Yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah.
3: <laughs> who Who's your favourite player over the years, then, from all the uh, the games that you've seen?
2: Simon Garner was always a big... A big kind of... Um, a big hero, and I was kind of... A relatively young supporter. Um, and also because... He lived on the same estate as as we did in um, in Cherry Tree in Wightman, um, and we used to see him every morning taking his kids to school and walking back, and he'd be having a cigarette on the way out and a cigarette on the way back, <laughs> and then we used to see him in the pub, occasionally. naturally, yes, <laughs> smoking and drinking. So not not only was he, not only was a great a great striker knocking loads of goals, but um, he was still probably. Probably part of that last generation of footballers who lived a very similar life to, to kind of ordinary supporters. Yeah. So you, you kind of relate to the way that he lived his life, I suppose.
3: Yeah, you'd see them walking around town, as you say, and you could actually interact with them, not to, not locked away on private estates or whatever as they are these days. Who's who's your favourite Rovers manager over the years?
2: It's difficult to, difficult to go past Kenny, I suppose. But um, young Kenny, I don't know. I mean, I thought thought Graham Soanes did a good job when he came to the club. I did well, I and mean, I'm, I'm, I'm actually becoming a big fan of Tony Mowbray as well. I and mean, I think he's done, done a fantastic job since he came. I always think it's a good sign whenever whenever a team plays better in the second half than they do in the first half. I always think that's a good sign, and Tony Mowbray seems to be doing that most of the time at the Rivers. Quite often they play a bit rubbish in the first half and then come out and, and kind of change the game completely in the second half, which I think tends to indicate that he's had some kind of impact on the game. So yeah, It
3: seems to be a trait of Rovers, in the, uh, certainly even last year, notwithstanding it was a good season. I think if we'd have strung two halves together consistently throughout the season, we'd have absolutely romped it with record yeah. points circles and all the rest of it, but yeah, it's a good no, point think, that you right. make and I think that was potentially, uh, we're, we're recording this just after the League Cup tie with Lincoln last night and another sterling second half performance, so it's uh, something we'll watch out for that perhaps in future. Yeah. So, given that you've uh, you've written on four thousand holes about uh, Rover's kits, what's your favourite Rover's kit over the years?
2: Well, again, I'm, I'm a bit of a traditionalist, really. I don't I don't particularly like it when we go kind of lighter blue, like we have again at the, at the moment. I tend to prefer it kind of the the just the traditional darker blue, yeah, blue white ours. really. I mean, I've quite liked. I like the, the you know the, the latest thing that I've written about in in four thousand holes. I did quite like that kind of yellow and black strip that we very briefly had as a kind of through. But I've also liked, I've always liked the, the kind of, when we've had the, the sort of strong red and black red and black um, stripes as well, that doesn't like it. I think it's kind of good to have a kind of strong, strong colour. Yeah. To, um, but I, always, I think there's some kind of psychological impact I think in the colour that you actually wear. They, um, they do say that red is, um...
3: Is one of the strongest colours, I think there was once a, uh, an analysis I read somewhere that said teams wearing red. I don't know whether that's just a function that Liverpool, Arsenal, and Man United have been particularly successful in this country, though. With Man City and Chelsea coming back, I guess it gives hope for those of us who support teams wearing blue and white. I guess. So when did the um, when did the writing bug grab you? What what was it that influenced you? First,
2: I've, got, I've always written, as well, even since you know, when even when I was kind of growing up. But at, I first started writing in kind nineteen of eighties I got involved in music and music fanzines and I used to write quite a lot for various kind of fanzines in the area. Yeah. Just kind of the old, the old music review and the old bit of politics and things like that. Um, and then when I went away to I went away to university, I moved down to, to Brighton and I started my own music and politics with a couple of other chaps at, at uni. So I was kind of writing regularly and editing, editing kind of material for that as well. Um, and about the same time, I remember writing, I already started writing for When Saturday Comes because I, I wrote a letter to the letters page of When Saturday Comes, um, bemoaning how, how, how much influence when you were starting to have on the game in the the, mid-90s and I got a letter back from the editor saying well if you you tinker around with your letter that that could make quite a good article which I hadn't really kind of thought about so I kind of rewrote it added a bit more and sent it back and that was my first I suppose my first properly published bit of bit of writing, really. Yeah, and so it, and, and it gave me a bit of confidence really that I could, you know, that I could do it. And the yeah, editor of *Montague Government is very good. He encourages sort of new writers to, to kind of send stuff in. So if I had any ideas, then he would kind of he would kind of. Not ideas backwards and forwards, and encouraged me to to, to write articles for, for the magazine. And occasionally he he kind of come across things that that would relate to the kind of things that I was writing there, and he'd send me ideas to write about as well. So, and it it kind of developed. I, I, for a while, I was when back when uh, local newspapers had a bit more money, I did start for a period. I was I did write a few freelance line articles. I've got a few in the Manchester Union Telegraph, um, a couple of Manchester Union Post. I think one in Bolton Evening News. Um, I think we even had one in the in Manchester Evening News. Yeah. And it, it did for a while. It did, it did start to it did start to take off a bit. And I I got on I got on radio five. I, looked, I think they got some kind of list on the BBC. So about the same time, started to appear on the radio. Occasionally, they'd kind of ring me up and ask me to talk about various things. So I was on kind of national micro like, radio quite a bit. And for a while it was kind of starting to take off, and then all the money went out of local newspapers yeah. and <laughs> <laughs> they, stopped, they, stopped, they stopped basically taking on, taking on kind of freelance, freelance work. So it just kind of all that kind of just dried up. So it, it kind of I mean, I've always carried on, you know, I've been writing for my seconds for 20 years years yeah. and contributing to the old, you know, I've, I've written about kind of literature and politics for various small publications and websites during that time as well, so I've always watched, written and so it's just, it's just carried on, it's just something that I enjoy doing, it's never been, it's never been a proper question or anything but yeah. it's quite a good thing to just keep my brain going. And
3: so who are, who are your favourite football writers? Who's, whose work would you seek out actively?
2: I have like, I mean, always followed David Conn in the Guardian because I like the way that he works a lot of the writing that, that I've done about football isn't strictly speaking about football it's about kind of social issues that surround the game so a lot of a lot of my work has been about things that affect supporters or things that affect the game and David Conn writes about often writes about finance and the way things have impacted on yeah the game, so I, I i've always kind of followed his writing and in fact the piece of work that, that, I, that i did that i'm most proud of was a was an article that i wrote for when second comes which which wasn't actually published in the end but it was about why journalists were unable to crack the budget dealing that was supposedly going on where whereby people were receiving under, under the counter payments and
3: but we, we seem to have well, fingers crossed that we've turned a corner now. What, what do you make of the current Rover's setup?
2: Well, that's, a, that's an interesting question, isn't it? I mean, I, I could understand why people were, were kind of running, running the kind of bankies out campaign a few seasons ago because the club seemed to be in absolute turmoil at the time. And there's no doubt that that when they first took over, they were ill-advised, they were or badly advised, and situation seemed to, be coming, seemed to become quite critical. It, it, it looked like for a while, it like, you know, the club could even be in danger of, of, of kind of going out of business. But there's no doubt that over the last two or three seasons, they've kind of stabilised. The club. They've put in, they've, they've continued to put in money to keep the club, the club afloat. You know that they've, they've rationalised that, so it has been, been kind of cut back But at the same time, they've kept the club going. And, and it seems at the moment, with, with the latest kind of signs, that they are putting in a bit more money again to try and try and get the club going. So, so on the one hand, I, I am kind of, I'm still slightly concerned that we don't really know what their long-term uh, ambitions are. They are keeping the club going and up. I wonder, you know, if, if they were to just kind of pull out and stop putting money in, then they do worry about what their... Where the, where the club could go in the in the kind of longer term. Really. So,
3: what do you think are realistic ambitions then for the current setup?
2: I was I was kind of slightly slightly trepidatious as to how things might might go in the championship after, after the promotion, but but we seem to be so far it's early days, but we seem to be doing okay. You know, I think at the moment, it's just this season is kind of about stabilising the championship and and then seeing where we can go I mean, Trouble is, it seems to be a lot of clubs in the championship who have plenty of money to spend. It's whether we can compete in the longer term against against that kind of money. Last season was 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 actually really really kind of good for them, and they enjoyed going to, to every game. The first time it felt like we'd really turned the corner.
3: Yeah, I think there is certainly a feel good factor around the place. And last season, I think there's a new, there's a generation of our supporters that discovered the joys of the third tier for the first time, you know, standing on terraces and uh, everything that goes with it and going to new grounds. Then there's some gnarled old has like me it was like going around and revisiting those old grounds again, and it rekindled the enthusiasm that I had as a teenager when I was going for the first time to the likes of those, going back to Gig Lane and places like that, and and standing on terraces that, that you'd sort of like forgotten existed. Uh, but it was it's it's just great to win football matches, isn't it, and to have some success. So I think that that sort of like has rekindled it all.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's kind of one of those things, you know. That I've always said, oh, it's not it's not all about winning, and, you know, and I enjoy I enjoy the kind of the culture of going to going to the games and stupid mates and going to the public pool games and that kind of stuff. But there's no doubt that if you're getting kind of beaten every week like we were in the Premier League and, and kind of we were struggling in the Championship as well, that, that after a while it just tends to just tends to kind of grind you down a bit. really. <laughs> kind of, death
3: of a thousand you know.
2: cuts. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was it was nice. I remember at, at the start of last season we, we struggled a little bit at the beginning. You know, I was I was wondering where, where we were going to end up. But when we turned that corner it was it was just a wonderful feeling again to start start winning and to be competitive in every game and to actually be playing playing good football again. And it, it really felt like it felt like I did kinda of reinvigorate Going to the going to the games again.
3: Yeah, I'd just like to see another five or six thousand going to the home games. Thanks, for that Bruce. That's been uh, that's been a tremendous insight both into to your level of support and obviously the the contributions that you've made to When Saturday Comes over the years. And if anybody doesn't read When Saturday Comes, I would definitely recommend it. I think Bruce is the uh, the unofficial Blackburn Rovers correspondent. Thanks, thanks very much for for taking the time out and joining us today. It's 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 been a tremendous pleasure having a chat. You're welcome back anytime, of course. But in the meantime, keep flying the flag for Rovers in when Saturday comes and um, we'll hope to read more of your pieces in 4,000 holes as well thanks Bruce
2: thank you bye-bye
3: right so that's all we have time for I'd just like to thank you all for taking the time to listen it's very much appreciated if you could give us a review on iTunes as well that would also be terrific as it does help our podcast to be discovered by newcomers big thank you as always to our panelists for the time and input Jen, Lynns and Michael thanks once again to each and every one of you Also, massive thanks to our guest contributors in this episode, Bruce Wilkinson for sharing his When Saturday Comes insights, Bill Arthur for recalling his early memories of Ewood all the way from Canada, and last but by no means least, Ian Futter for sharing some of his memories from his lair in North Wales. If anyone out there fancies contributing a favourite or an earliest Rovers memory feature to a future episode, please get in touch with BRFCS on the forum or on Twitter, we've had a few expressions of interest, it'd be great to make some of these uh, a regular feature. so send your ideas to at brfcs.com on Twitter or post on the thread in the BRFCS forum. Also, once more, thanks to forum member Biz and his band The Symmetry for allowing us to use their music as our theme this season. They too can be found on Twitter at The Symmetry Band, and I believe they're also on Facebook if you want to go and see them locally when they're performing. Thanks, everyone. That's been terrific. We'll see you next month. By the way, massive thank you to Joe Bamford, uh, BRFCS forum member, and his band The Symmetry, for providing all the incidental music used in this episode. I hope you'll look them up on Facebook, and if they're playing live near to you, well, go and see them. We'll be hearing more from Joe, hopefully in a regular item, later on in the season.
4: podcast network
0: experiences are what people love the most about travel viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like hiking mount kilimanjaro in tanzania or enjoying the views while cruising on a catamaran in the caribbean they offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures with over three hundred thousand bookable experiences in 190 countries there's something for everyone Over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator.
4: Okay, you're deep in the jungle hanging with a friendly jaguar. Or how about in outer space playing the bass? Let your imagination run wild with the new generative AI tools in Adobe Photoshop. Create anything you can dream up just by typing a text prompt. Treehouse in your jungle? Unicorn in your spaceship? Just type it. This changes everything. Hit the banner or go to Photoshop.com and try it for free.
0: It's
3: the 90th minute. All you mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping. And you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See McDonald's.com.
0: This podcast is proud to be part of the Talk Sport Fan Network. Talk Sport. Powered by
2: fans.